Marini's Media. Yesterday, it's part two of our Totty Football Show as we salute a player who was as eternal as his home city and as grande as the Raccordo Anulare, Francesco Totti. Welcome back, everybody, to Golazzo and the Francesco Totti story. Yes, it's 2006. Last 16 of the World Cup in Germany. Italy playing Australia, heading for extra time. But, oh, my word, Fabio Grosso goes down. And all of a sudden, there's a spot kick awarded for the Azzurri. Up steps Francesco Totti. Totti, whose impact on the tournament hasn't been huge, that's understandable. Hmm. He raced back from an injury which he what, suffered in February, which I think usually takes, again, it's one of those things where they say it usually takes seven months to recover. Right. And he's back 90 with, days later. With in, metal plates in his leg. Yeah, he only, I think, plays one game before um, joining up with the national team, which is the second leg of the Coppa Italia final against Inter, not the one in which he kicks Balotelli. Um, and, yeah, he's got 13... Um, screws in his leg. You mentioned the metal plate, and I think it's kind of understandable. But, but the, th- the thing is, he always says that Lippi from day one was, you know, by his bedside saying, You will go to the World Cup. It must have been scary waking up to that. Well, the thing is, he uh, again says his relationship with Lippi apparently, like when Lippi got the job in 2004 after the European Championships, um, Totti's injured, um, misses the the first friendly or first game. Um, he's then injured again for the next one, and basically Lippi says, "Right, I want you to come to Palermo. We're preparing for our game. I want to have a talk with you." And Totti's like, "Oh Jesus, what have I done now? This is not good." Um, and he goes there, and and um, Lippi basically says, "You're our star. You're my guy." And Totti's kind of jaw is on the floor. Um, and Lippi's like that throughout with him. And apparently Lippi, after, during training sessions for this World Cup, um, sends everyone to the showers after a training session, says, Totti, stay back with me. We're going to see if you can still play football. <laughs> and has him shoot at goal and do things like that. And Lippi's literally physically himself, manually, picking up the balls. And he's like, you know, knackered after each one of these training sessions because he's chasing the balls. So Lippi was always... You're coming. You're coming. And it, it, it all comes good in that moment. So Totti steps up and it's a crucial moment. And Totti's eyes, the director just does this extreme close-up for about 30 seconds on Totti's eyes as he waits for the referee to give him the go. And there's never any doubt. It's, I mean, just visually, I was in Germany. I was not at that game. I watched it on television. And I remember it so clearly, that shot. That's just genius direction. There you go, a crucial goal. Because they couldn't go to extra time. That was the feeling because Mm. they were down to 10 men because Gab's mate, Marco Materazzi, had got sent off. Sent (laughs) off for tackling his own teammate, I might add. (laughs) Um, Further details available in the Golazzo Materazzi special. But yeah, Totti with a part to play, as he did also in in the semi-final against Germany. Uh, He contributed 
to what was, he was there. He was there, and he, <laughs> he 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 assisted the assist, I think, for Del Piero's goal. And he's part of that. I mean, and they're world champions. It's not re- remembered as as being his tournament, but he's he's part of it. And there's have you heard that story about the inmate staying in jail so that he could meet him after the World Cup. The Azuri or some elements of them go to visit this prison to kind of do a goodwill, a little bit of social social work. And Totti says that, that there was this guy there and they'd said that he was supposed to leave. He'd been, he was due to be released the week before, but he told them he wanted to stay one week later because he'd heard that Totti would be going there. And he told them, if you make me leave, I will do something crazy to be sent back here. Anyway, wonderful uh, stuff. It's almost as good as a story that time at Jan Bagazola was what, talked and almost kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> Again, listen to that episode. Yeah, the Zola episode. Summer 2006 then, Totti's a world champion. He's won a Scudetto at Roma. He's married the woman of his dreams. He's, what, 29? What worlds could he still have to conquer? You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. What follows, while perhaps not as glorious in terms of titles won, is, as we mentioned at the end of the last podcast, almost the most impressive phase of his career. In his 30s, with his leg held together by screws and a metal plate, with his club increasingly falling apart, just the level of performances that he puts in is quite extraordinary. You could argue that he's about the best 30-something-plus footballer that modern football's ever seen. You can argue he had a full decade Mm -hmm. in his 30s. Yeah. Okay. I defy anybody, and maybe one day Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi will prove me wrong, until they have a full decade in their 30s and achieve in their 30s what Totti achieved in his 30s. Zero league titles. Um, <laughs> Zero thank <titles>. you. <laughs> then, you know, then, then that's where he set the bar. And then he belongs in a conversation with Stanley Matthews and Dia Stefano in terms of, of, of golden oldies. Right. 2006-7, following the World Cup, Totti produces in goal terms his best season ever. He wins the European Golden Boot. He has 26 goals in Serie A, another six in the Champions League and 15 assists as well. I Roma. Mean, I think the astonishing thing about that is that... Um, no telling they'd ever won that until the year before when Luca Toni hmm. um, did it as part of that Fiorentina team. And now five, six different players every season in City Air score. Even freaking cheating models. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, you know, it's still very rare. I mean, he wins the Golden Shoe with 26 goals. Again, yeah. which you think this is just as Messi's beginning to come into the team at uh, Barcelona, just when things start to change and get silly when two players start scoring, what, 50 goals a season? Right. Before the paradigm shift. Yeah. Roma finished second that year behind Inter, as was their wont, but they do win the Coppa Italia with the two legs against the Nerazzurri, one of those legs ending in a 6-2 victory at home. It's a similar story the following year. That, that The following year with Claudio Ranieri now in charge is when they come within about 45 minutes of actually taking the title. Yeah, well, this this is the thing. Um, on the Spalletti, 2007-2008, goes to the final day there, leading... Uh, but was that under Spalletti still? Well, there, there are two. There are two. I mean, there's, there's the one where they are in Catania. Vucinic, I think, puts them in front. Uh, Inter is still drawing in Padma. And then Zlatan comes off the bench in the rain and scores and spares Mancini's blushes, but Mancini will soon be departed because Mourinho's coming in for him. And then there's obviously the 2009-10 where Cassano comes back to haunt Roma and Totti when that Samp side 
comes and beats him at the Olimpico and Marco Sterrari has the best game of his life and Mexes is on the bench crying because Roma again have come so close. And people forget that about the treble season that Inter had that yeah. Roma were very, very close. And people also forget all the people who worship at the altar of the special one who gets it over the line and blah, 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 doesn't flinch under pressure. That that season, mm. they had an 11-point lead and then suddenly they were a point behind. So you want to talk like mind games against a Roma team that was basically Totti, De Rossi, and a bunch of dudes who you know, were there by hook or by crook because the financial rot had already set in. They didn't have any money. As we mentioned in the last podcast, six times in nine seasons, Roma finishing second in Serie A, quantifying the level of his performances and the context, how difficult it was. You'd had... The injury before the 2006 World Cup, you'd had the... He does his ACL a couple of seasons after that. Mm. You've got the level of the team, which had fallen off dramatically. I mean, the I don't know, Marco Borriello, Michael Bradley. Adriano. You have? Yeah. <laughs> you had some just... I mean, it was a it was a bit of a ragtag ensemble. You had... Luca Toni came back from Bayern. You had a change in ownership as well. You had a succession of sporting directors. You had a countless managerial changes. I think 10 managerial changes through... That decade. I mean, four in one year. Four in one year. <laughs> but the tenacity of, of Totti, which I think is something that, that doesn't go recognised. This is a player, and you touched on this in the last show, Gabriele, who'd, who'd started playing, got his debut at 16 with Roma, started playing regularly for them at the age of 17. And normally we equate that with players getting burnt out by the end of their 20s. Here Ray he Rooney. is. Yeah. Steaming into his late 30s and still being an, an absolute icon carrying the team. I mean, I, to me, it's the physical side of things. I mean, again, you touched it in the last episode about the groundwork, team and the fitness, whether it's that, whether it's this bizarre Vito Scala figure who's Totti's friend, who's also his personal physio and fitness guy. Um, you know, some people came out and said, that's the future, right? Athletes' bodies are such finely tuned machines. They need one guy to train them rather than, you know, having a fitness trainer for the whole club. I, whatever it is, whatever it works, whatever it's just, whether it's just a determination, whether it's, whether it's frankly the fact that what else does he know how to do other than play football? Um, it is unbelievable that it lasted so long through so many injuries, through so many setbacks, through so much instability around the club. Franco Beltini. Um Yeah, but I mean, I remember talking to, to people who told me that essentially when when Totti was at, uh, you know, really from about 98 onwards, whenever Totti wanted to leave his house to go somewhere, right, he called a police escort which led to a whole debate about is this good use of police time, you know, <laughs> having police outriders. But if he didn't, he'd be in traffic, and you can imagine he would never get anywhere, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole business of the, the, his, his idolization in, in the capital, which, which forced him and his, his family to move. I mean, he's touched on that when he talks about... Well, not uh, out of the city, but like, you know, sort of Eur, Casalpolocco kind of way. Right. He says, well, the, the symbiosis between me and Rome... Travels at two different speeds. The city feeds on me, the games, the interviews, the all the public appearances. But all I get is one bite of the apple, and then I have to disappear. His beautiful city, the city that he, he loved, the city that he couldn't leave. But mm. at the same time, his his success means that he can't actually live in it. Well, I mean, there was there was. I think he said this that he'd he'd never been to or never got to see the Colosseum. The Colosseum, aside from I think when they win the league title, he gets. 
he gets on a moped and basically goes around late night in Rome. That's another great thing to do. Um, and then, yeah, he went, uh, he needed to get a Christmas present one time for Hillary and was going to Via del Corso, which is kind yeah, of which Oxford is a Street. Which idea in the first place. Well, the thing is, so, so he's like, can you send this to my house? And it's like, it's Christmas Eve, we can't. And he's like, right, I'm going to have to go there. So he gets in his smart car um, with his son and he's all kind of, you know, sort of tried to camouflage himself, Peaky Blinders kind of style and uh, forgets that because he's, he lives in a goldfish bowl. Everyone knows who his son is. Everyone recognizes his son. So his son's just dressed casual as normal. And they go into the they go into the store. They buy this scarf or whatever it is. And then yeah, by the time they come out, there is a again five thousand people there. There's a great story tells shortly after the scudetto where they go for a um, they go for a meal in a place in the Aventino on Via Marmarata, which has a balcony overlooking. And um, his mate runs the joint, but people see him on the balcony. And uh, all of a sudden, this massive crowd materializes um, and they try and storm the restaurant. And the only way to get out is to climb up one of the embankments on the Albertine and jump over a wall. And they jump over a wall, and there's, you know, the, the, it's the place where there's the, um, is it what, the Paco degli Aranci? You know, the. Oh, yeah, beautiful. But he, he actually jumps into the, it's like a pontifical university there mm. where, which is run by the orders of the Knights Templar right of some, and I think it's the the Knights of Malta yeah Knights yeah. of Malta and there is which, that's the one with the famous the keyhole. Uh, keyhole which if you look through you have the perspective with the St. Peter's at the end so he, he, he jumps in his middle it's by that time very late it's dark and then a kind of priest comes out and um, in his nightgown <laughs> apparently yeah I think in a nightgown and he's shouting at them um, and then he's, then he's, he, he doesn't think he'll be recognized. And then lo and behold, the priest goes, oh, are you Francesca Totti? And then he, he says, I'll open the gate for you. And that gate, that door is right. the one with Piranesi's keyhole where you can, if you look through, you can see St. Peter's. Yeah. Perfect. Magnificent. I mean, just to kind of recount some of his exploits, the 2009-10 season when, as we mentioned, under Ranieri, they, they push the treble winning into right to the end. 24-game unbeaten run there and, and famously kicking Balotelli in the Coppa Italia <laughs> final. He's, what, 33 at that point? He's 36 when Zeman returns in 2012-13 and he comes up with 12 goals and 12 assists that season. Double figures in both at 36, not bad. 38 when we were both at the Etihad oh, yeah. to see Roma away at Manchester City and Francesco Totti with a wonderful and, and trademark chip of Joe Hart, becoming the oldest Champions League scorer ever, taking the uh, that title from Ryan Giggs. 38 years and 59 days of age. Soltanto lui! Soltanto lui! Soltanto lui a 38 anni! Soltanto lui a 38 anni. But even he couldn't go on forever. Gabriele and well, he could. I mean, he wants to. <laughs> he, wants he still is. He's playing eight aside. Well, we'll get onto that in a second. But 28th of May 2017, Francesco finally hangs up his boots. Roma are playing at home to Genoa. They have a 3 2 home win. He comes on for Mo Salah midway through the second half. And after the final whistle, he gets given the microphone for the goodbye that he and Roma's fans wished would never take place. And my goodness, does he milk it. I mean, he's Francesco Totti, but he's there talking for 12 minutes, yeah. rambling on. Well, it's actually pretty cogent, no? Is it? 
<laughs> I think it's, I mean, 12 minutes. Have you got the in front of you? Ah, yeah, very, that is so oh, sweet. Come on. And yeah, it could have been, he could have got on with it a bit. I've, I felt, I'm a huge fan. It's not easy fan. to turn out the light, James. Well, as he said, I'm scared. I'm scared to turn out the light. Yeah. And also the, 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 the support. I mean, there's so many shots of people in, just in pieces in the stands. And well, they keep breaking into song. And it's an extraordinary thing. But I feel like maybe seven or eight minutes might have been enough. Well, what, what's... <laughs> What's amazing, though, is people obviously knew that the goodbye would come from the perspective of the club and, and, and the club's owner, uh, Jim Pallotta, is like, how do we navigate the transition? What happens when he's no longer there? Uh, somebody know who travels to South Africa often made a parallel with... <laughs> Name him, Gap. Uh, with, no, with, with Mandela, right? Sort of 20 years ago. What do you do when he's no longer there? You know, who takes over? How do they take over? What will happen? You know, will, will Pandora's box be reopened? Is he ever going to go away? You know, and... <laughs> yeah, I can imagine him saying that. <laughs> well, because there, there, there's always that, that sense, right? When people hang around too long and you were in a situation... Too long or a long time? I don't think he did hang around too long, personally. But you are in a situation where... If Totti does well and Roma win, mm. you're like, oh, look at this crappy club. They don't have any succession plan. They're still relying on 37-year-old Totti. This is rubbish, right? And if Totti does badly, then A, well, for 90% of Roma fans, it's the club's fault for making Totti play badly, which they got a lot of. But for the others, it's kind of like, right, you know, you're alpha male, Jim Pallotta, it's your club. Get rid of this guy. Move on. You know, there is a future. Roma will still be there once Dottie's no longer there. And that's First before you get... without him, they get to the semifinals of the Champions League. Yeah. And, and that's before then you get into the whole other issue of once he retires from playing, you're kind of obligated to say there's a role for you at the club. Right. Which was part of his last contract as a player, no, that he would then move Well, not his last one, but one that when Rossella Sensi sold to Jim Pilotta, there was always this six-year contract as a director there in a draw waiting for you. Okay. You can keep extending your players' contracts, and they would do that because it was clear that the club wanted to move on even before um, Totti retired when he did. Again, the clash between Totti and Franco Baldini has been played out quite publicly, certainly in the last well, last year. Mm. But even then, there was the, when Luis Enrique was there, there was the kind of Totti's lazy... Um, there was the, you know, I've wanted to get rid of you, sell you for some time. But my problem is that every time we appoint a new manager, that new manager says, Totti's staying, right? And, you know, that changes when Spalletti comes back for the second time. Right. Spalletti doesn't ask that question. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Sp Spalletti in a second, the second stint. But after he hangs up his boots and assumes a, a managerial role, at AS Roma, things don't work out too well. And uh, last summer, 2019, he calls this press conference at uh, CONI, the uh, Olympic Committee headquarters in Rome. It's symbolic that it's not, not a Roma territory. Yeah. And uh, announces his resignation and accuses the chairman, Palotta, and indeed the, the club of basically freezing him out from the decision-making process. But since then, he's, he's made other comments. I mean, there's been a whole series of controversies about his activity on social media, but he's publicly said that if he was advising a young Totti now, he'd tell him to steer clear of Roma, which it's, I mean, it's an interesting thing to say. And obviously it was pretty inflammatory coming from Totti, of all people, the man who'd been 
the symbol of Romanisti's hopes and dreams. But how true is, is that comment? I don't know, given that his own well, son he, is 15 he, and is playing for Roma's under 15. He accused uh, <laughs> the, the club of uh, wanting to kind of cleanse Roma of the Romans. Right. Even though, you know, after he retires, De Rossi is captain. And after De Rossi leaves, Florenzi's captain. There's Lorenzo Pellegrini there. As we record, they've just signed Matteo Politano. as about as Roman as they come. Um, you know, uh, some of the things he said in that very long statement, if you like, it doesn't add up. And I think it it was bitter for both both sides right. at it's, the it's end. Not, became bitter. You, you want him. You want him there. You want him playing. You don't want him thinking or talking. I mean, I think this is the general feeling of people involved with Roma because the clubs make this mistake all the time, right? Whenever we say, oh, look, he's such and such footballer. Well, he's really, really clever. And then you compare it to like real people in the real world and you're kind of like, all right, this dude left school when he was 15. He can write his name. Do you, do you, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to generalize about all footballers because uh-huh. then you have Frank Lampard who's, who's an outlier or, or whatever. But the vast majority is... This guy lived in a goldfish bowl bubble his entire life. Even if he were super intelligent, Hmm. which he's not, he would need to be super educated as well to actually be a manager type figure at Roma, whether it's some sort of director of football thing or whatever. Even the basic things that you think you would do, which is like, okay, well, what do you think of this player? What do you think of, you know, of, of this signing? We might make sure we get Jordan Veritu or whatever. What frame of reference could Totti possibly have about Jordan Veritu? If you're, if you're Totti, Jordan Veritu is a different species. Other footballers, Cengiz Under is a different species to you. You know, maybe you can give a judgment on Zidane, maybe, but but you can't you can't expect people who are so talented and who've had such a a, a one in a zillion life experience. You can't expect them to relate to other human beings, even on the football pitch from from a technical sense. You may be able to tell them, well, I'd like them to do this and that, but it's just, it's a completely different skill set. Roberto Mancini's had some success with, with, uh, with working with well, other players. Hold up a second. Mm-hmm. Roberto Mancini, mm-hmm. first of all, went through a whole apprenticeship. Right. And secondly, as you know from the Golazzo podcast on Mancini, that it's a single thing that Mancini found toughest at all. And he said he had to unlearn how to be a footballer. And he had to relearn how to be a normal footballer um, because otherwise things that come so natural to him that he never thought about, he realized even other professional footballers are like, oh, wait, I didn't see that pass. Or wait, how do you actually hit the ball 40 yards with the outside of your boot while you're looking the other way and running at a full sprint? Because Mancini can do that, but I can't. You know, it's it's a journey. I mean, and I think it's it's why obviously there's a whole bunch of very talented footballers who became great managers, although not as many as, as we generally think. But even even the ones who do right. have generally been on this process. Okay. Or, and you put Zidane in there as well. Yeah, I would put Zidane in there, but differently though. Okay. Zidane is not a teacher of football. Mm-hmm. Zidane is, he's Ancelotti without the words or the charm and right. maybe with a little more he, talent. He basically runs a group of extremely talented players who don't need to learn how to do that stuff. They know how to play football, okay. right? Rafa Benitez might be more of a teacher, right? but then Rafa Benitez was okay, a slightly that, inferior. That's not the situation that Tossi was experiencing 
at, at Roma, where he wasn't a manager, but he was working more in a kind of uh, ambassador. What was ambassador. He? No, the thing a... is that this is the problem with ambassadors, right? No, yeah. This is why Maldini never wanted to go back to Milan until he got to be a boss, is they figure out what's up. They don't want to be wheeled out there to wave to the crowd and be a yes man. That is what the ambassador role means. That's no, what... what I thought was quite smart about Roma was they were like, you don't know what you want to do. What do you have right. a year? You can work with Baldissoni. You can work with Baldini. You can work with Monchi. And then you can figure out what you're good at. What you're what good you at. Yeah. Right. Basically, it's like an apprentice, like rotation, mm-hmm. like doctors. You know, you go in the. But you knew that wasn't going to work. <laughs> because wow. he still talked to you wherever he goes. Right? He goes to the commercial oh. department. He's like, oh, get fam. Oh, what is this? Right. And. And the people don't, they don't treat him like an apprentice. Right. They treat him like Totti. Did you see that uh, interview with uh, Ilari Blasi where, where she says that basically being married to Totti is humiliating because no one even looks at you, yeah, you know, yeah. which for her must have been a, a, a sea change because everyone's just Totti, Totti, can you give this message to Totti? Mm. Anyway, so, well, he um, he's left and uh, there's a certain amount of bitterness and it's sad to see uh, a player who gave so much to the club now in, in less than happy, uh, unhappy uh, terms. Well, it'll be very curious to see what happens over the next few weeks, where this takeover to go through. Right. And yeah, there'd be some kind of move to bring him back. Although I think already some of the things that he's been occupying his time with, it looks like he wants to become an agent. He wants to represent talented young footballers. He's had a meeting with a big agency in London um, about that. Um, yeah, that that does Can not facilitate somebody... someone coming back into a football club. Do you think something would be worse suited to be an agent than that guy? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, questions about what Francesco is going to do with his future. But whatever he does, he's given football an unparalleled amount of uh, extraordinary memories and moments. Up next on Galazzo, we'll have a look at our favourite Totti memories. Del Piero, Roberto Baggio... Those names say anything to you? <laughs> not much, to be honest. Four-time Tour de France champion Chris Froome may not know much about the legends of Italian football, but over at the Cycling Podcast, we can keep you up to date with everything that's going on in the world of professional cycling. If you want to sort the Malia Rosa from the Rossoneri, tell Geraint Thomas from Francesco Totti, and know the difference between the San Siro and Milano San Remo, the Cycling Podcast is the show for you. Our weekly show covers the whole racing season and goes daily for cycling's three grand tours, kicking off with the Giro d'Italia in May. Subscribe to the Cycling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other good podcast apps or check out thecyclingpodcast.com. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. To wrap up then our look back at Totti's career, would you pick out your favourite bits of Totti? <laughs> Let me start you off with the 2006, 26th of November, Roma taking on Sampdoria. Prova Cassetti a riaprire verso Francesco Totti! Che grande gol! Splendido gol di Francesco Totti! Che firma la doppietta e chiude la partita! Was that your favourite Totti goal ever, do you think? That's Totti's on the far left of the area and at a pretty ridiculous angle, and the ball's put in by Cassetti from the right, mm-hmm. and he just hits it first time, That the, a, a wonderful volley. And the Sampdoria fans even uh, rising to their feet to applaud. Yeah, from a very acute angle. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a fine goal, James. 
he didn't choose the lob against Inter. Well, that's, which an, is the, that's another one that brought a standing ovation from the uh, opposition fans. Yeah. We mentioned the pass against Leon before, and obviously the penalty against Australia, but I'm going to mention something that's not a goal. Okay. Although I think, I don't remember, he must have scored them. Was the the gesture with the four against Quattro Patini? Yeah, yeah. Where and so then, this and is two thousand and four, and so good. And Roma have just beaten Juve at the Stadio Olimpico four nil. Juve, who I think had won the previous two titles, is that right? With Roma finishing second one of the seasons behind them. And uh, I think they've won one, and Milan has maybe won the other. Yeah, Milan but won two thousand two or three, and Juve won two. Th- no, no, Milan won oh three or four. Juve one or two or three, right? But it's 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 Juve, it's Grande Juve, and uh, it's the Tudo. and Roma and Roma have just beaten them four 0 and Totti does what? It's just this hand gesture where he holds up his hand and he kind of like wiggles his four fingers, and then he does like uh, people might say it's like a throat slitting. It's not really throat slitting. He just kind of moves his hand uh, in front of his mouth, kind of like a shut up gesture. It's like, like a go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are done. Yeah. Uh, turn a fork in their ass. But you know what? It, to me, that is that is Totti because, like, sfotto, sfotto. Yeah, but there's always going to the reason the appeal is there is because there's always going to have an underdog quality to him. Um, and you know, it's ironic. I mean, Maradona had an underdog quality to him as well, right? That is a big part of the appeal. Maybe not within within Rome because obviously Roma aren't within his own goldfish. But I don't know. I don't think he realizes this. That I think even for a lot of neutrals. He represented the underdog in in turning down Real Madrid, in in battling against Juve and 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 then Inter, you know. So those moments are few and far between, when you know when 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 the social order gets subverted. Right. Although when they did come, they tended to have Totti involved. That that goal that he scored, do you remember that absolute blast that he scored? It was a free kick from I think Pjanic. This is 2013 against Juventus, and. Uh, Free kick goes in, it comes back out, and he's about 30 yards out, and he just hits it first time, and it's one of those exquisite drives where the ball just goes absolutely arrow straight into the back of the net past Buffon. The more generic memory for me is also, I mean, James mentioned this 15 minutes on YouTube of him just passing the Mm. ball, is him getting the ball in traffic, usually with his back to the guy who's marking him, and this is where it helped that, you know, he had a large rear end. And the fact that as he's getting the ball, he's turning, he turns it, and he hits it first time with accuracy, you know, wherever, whether it's a 10-yard, you know, pass between the fenders or or whether whether it's a chip into space or whatever. I mean, I know it's, it's the ultimate cliche of sport, right? The eyes on the back of your head, but like... He must have looked beforehand. I never noticed him looking, but I'm sure he must have because mm. he's not that magical. His brain can't process them, or maybe it could. But to me, that is the iconic thing is, is actually maybe even more the passing, more than the goals. But you know what? The goals, he scored more goals with one team than any other person in the history of Italian football. And he's second on the all-time list of Serie A scorers behind Silvio Piola. Silvio yeah. Piola, who played in the 1920s and 1930s. 307 goals for Roma, 250 of them in Serie A. Yeah. How many did Piola have? Uh, 274 in Serie A, so 24 more in Serie A. Another, another couple of seasons 
he'd have done it. I have a few more that I'm going to mention. I do as well. Yeah? I mean, he says the best player he ever played with in terms of just being on the same wavelength was Antonio Cassano. Right. Um, and it's scary, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and they would fall out, but again, I implore our listeners to go and search out. There's a YouTube clip called Totti Cassano Telepathy. Mm-hmm. Where all they do, they play one-twos. It's only them from inside their own half all the way into the penalty area of the opponent's team. I can't remember who it is. I've just looked at it and it's all blurry on my phone. So it looks kind of like Juventus. I don't think it is. It might be Siena. And it is just mind-blowingly good how they keep finding each other, often one touch. Um, And yeah, I think again, in terms of two geniuses, one more troubled than the other, Mm. just speaking the same language from a football point of view, um, it's it's magnificent to watch. Goal against Lazio when he scored the brace in the Derby della Capitale in 2015. Whips out his phone. Yeah. So the second so the second goal first of all is is just genius. No, who is it? The first goal. Where he slides in at the far post and it's a yeah, 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 and it's that kind of ridiculous volley. Did he even need to volley? I don't know, but it's 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 a brilliant goal in the derby against Lazio, who he's the all-time <laughs> top scorer against. Well, I mean, when you play against him as many times as he has. And then he runs to the Cut of a Sword and one of the Roma staff gives him a phone and he takes the selfie. I think that was the most... The I mean, Roma will correct us if, they're, if, if we're wrong about this because they are social media champs, mm. but I think it was the most retweeted tweet probably a football team has ever kind of put out um, in terms of self-generated content rather than just we bought this player um, yeah that was that was pretty damn good yeah. I also like the one when he was uh, towards the end of his final season uh, where uh, Spalletti as Gazetta put it at the time kicks the Pope out of the Vatican 2016 um, yeah so. and uh, he he plays against Torino no in fact they no it's it's Roma Torino yes yeah. so this and is he's big- on the bench so this is, I mean, you could make a case for this being the last great game. And it's interesting how many of these memories come when he's well into his 30s. He's 39 at this point, and it is effectively all over. He's had the injuries. Him and Spalletti have not got on. To, he's even been removed from the Ritiro, no, a couple yeah. of weeks before by Spalletti because he gave an interview that wasn't sanctioned by the club. Anyway, Roma are battling for a top four space, and they are 2-1 down at home to Torino. They've got about five minutes left in the game. So Spalletti, in total desperation, has does the last... Go. He has to turn around to Totti and say, Franchere, <laughs> <laughs> you know, go and see what you can do. And, and, and what can he do with his first touch he scores? And then a couple of minutes later, he gets the, he gets the winning goal up from the, the penalty spot. And again, I mean, the, the commentary is fantastic from Carlos Zampa. There's, there's famous shots of fans just kind of in, in particular who's kind of I wouldn't say made a career <laughs> <laughs> since where he's got his phone and he's yeah. filming it Alessio Avalone um, oh uh, you even know his name yeah I know him I've spoken to him <laughs> oh really yeah um, yeah I organised the shoot for the world feed with him where he because uh, he then was invited to Trigoria to meet Totti um, because Totti was moved by you know watching that and right. has a signed shirt and you know. Amazing. 
anyway, so, I mean, and they went on to win all four of their remaining games and they finished in the top four and that's all, all terrific. You mentioned the chip against Inter, which I think, along with the Cucchiaio against Van der Sar at Euro 2000, is probably his most famous goal. Yeah. In the 3-2 win away at San Siro. And again, and you see Mancini, who had been Totti's idol as a, a, a child, just kind of shaking his head on the, mm. the sideline. It's, it's incredible. It's a great goal. team goal he's involved in. In fact, he finishes it off right. against Milan at San Siro where Aquilani, of all people, back when Aquilani was good and persuaded Rafa Benitez to spend, what, mm. 35 million or however much it was on him, has a Rabona. And uh, there's a cross comes in, Totti finishes off with his head. Yeah. Totti was on the pitch when Rodrigo Taddei did the Aurelio as well. Aurelio. Mm. Or was he on the pitch or was he injured? I don't know, but he was still Rodrigo Tadej's teammate when Rodrigo Tadej pulled off <laughs> the most unbelievable move right. in the, the history. The Aurelio. Of Just for anyone who's not uh, clear on the difference between the Aurelio and, say, the Elastico, what, what, what was the Aurelio? It's this weird thing where I, I realize the movement of the ball has nothing to do with his foot. Mm. I think it's his mind that moves it in a way that's <laughs> completely nonsensical. Yeah. Willem Dafoe. Just mentioning that, actually, one of the nice things about Totti is he's one of the few Italian football <laughs> legends that hasn't then turned out afterwards to have a bust of Benito Mussolini in, in, in his That wasn't his. That room. wasn't Aquilani, though, was it? It was his father, yeah. no? Well, Aquilani is also... Yeah, double A is also very much... Uh, he's on, on board with that whole, whole thing. <laughs> yeah, how about this one to finish, that classic futsal moment that did the rounds about a year ago on, on social media where some youngster rainbow flicks Francesco and the crowd are all like, hoo have some of that old man. And Francesco, he basically he doesn't flinch, but the, the, the kid doesn't score. And so Francesco just motions the keeper, hey, put it up. And he, he, I wouldn't say he runs downfield, but he runs a little bit. And then he just produces the most outrageous outside of the boot, swerving shot, which slams in and, you know, that's... As the, I think the caption on the social media clip has it, come at the king, you best not miss. Game over as one of his last T-shirts in yeah. the derby, famously said. Damn. Well, game over, and uh, while we wait to hear what's next for Il Capitano, that, that's it for our uh, Totti retrospective. Many thanks, James, for being with us today. And Gabriele. Pleasure. And uh, we look forward to joining you again on our next Golazzo, whatever that might touch upon. Hope you've enjoyed these shows from Rome's greatest ever player and from all of us here. It's a Rivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack from the greatest trio since the Bee Gees. Ha, 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 ha. From the Horse's Mouth. From the Horse's Mouth. Ha, ha, yeah. Muddy Knees Media.